Hello, listeners. Whether you've arrived here by accident or by your own morbid curiosity, you've stumbled on a door with a century of history behind it. You may not have discovered it before now, but I promise that it has found you. Whether it was through the terror of a childhood nightmare, the trailer for a movie you definitely didn't want to see, or the chill of goosebumps spreading over your arm, it's what we're here to explore today. I'm Claire Van Doren, your scream queen and movie maestro. So sit back and do your best to relax as I guide you through 100 years of horror. Start our exploration in 1922, Germany, a country that was plagued by the Spanish flu, populated by citizens with radically changing ideas about society, and a group of early filmmakers with a distinct style that would come to be known as German Expressionism. This style was largely characterized by stark black and white with little grayscale, actors with exaggerated dramatic makeup, and an overall focus on the emotional appeal of a film. These elements of German Expressionism would inspire other subgenres of movies such as romance, film noir, and yes, horror. <coughs> Our film today, however, has a legacy beyond just German Expressionism, as it is one of, if not the, first vampire movies ever made. Any guesses? If you guessed F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, you guessed correctly. Today, we'll be discussing the original fanged thriller, the film that inspired so many other pop culture icons. If you're a fan of any vampiric content, whether that's Anne Rice, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Twilight, or Blade, you have Nosferatu to thank. That isn't to say that Nosferatu is better than its descendants, or even more original. Vampire fans who check out this early silent film are likely to notice that it's actually an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Those moviegoers might then ask a very logical question. Why isn't Nosferatu simply named Dracula? And the answer is fascinating. Bram Stoker was dead by the time Nosferatu's director decided he wanted to adapt the acclaimed author's novel into a film. But Stoker's widow, Florence, wouldn't hear of it. She had no interest in a filmed version of her husband's work. Murnau, however, was a persistent director. Her refusal was not going to stop him from proceeding with his project. He decided to simply borrow Dracula's story, make some minor adjustments, change the names, and proceed as normal. The end result was derivative, to say the least. Count Orlok, our stand-in for Count Dracula, is a mysterious, wealthy landowner in a foreign country who is interested in moving to Germany. A young real estate agent named Jonathan is sent to broker a deal with him, despite his wife Ellen's warnings. Jonathan has several creepy encounters with the Count before the Count inevitably leaves for Germany, a passage he takes via ship while in a sealed box. When the ship arrives in Germany, all the crew are sick or dead. This starts a plague within the city that leaves many people on death's door. Jonathan's wife Ellen begins to have nightmares. Count Orlok becomes obsessed with her, only for that obsession to lead to his inevitable demise. If you've ever read Dracula, you'll know that this is almost exactly how the story goes. They were so indistinguishable from one another, in fact, that Florence Stoker sued Murnau over the rights to the story and won. 
the judge ordered every copy of the film destroyed. Fortunately for us, by the time the judge ordered this, Nosferatu had already gained a cult following. This might seem odd to modern viewers. Nosferatu doesn't exactly have characters that jump out at the audience, or even a particularly intense story. But this following is likely the only reason we have access to the film today. Otherwise, Nosferatu would have been lost to modern audiences like so many other early films. It is, however, impossible to escape the age of this film. Everything from its special effects to its film quality make it abundantly clear that Nosferatu is an old movie. But perhaps what dates it even more than that is the appearance of the vampire Count Orlok. He isn't exactly the teen heartthrob vampire that most people today are familiar with. Instead, Orlok is a bald, skinny figure with a long, crooked nose, pointy ears, and pointy teeth. His iconic silhouette looms over the film, and is perhaps more famous on its own than the film itself. But this image may seem familiar to you for other reasons. Perhaps you've seen something similar to it in a history class, because in 1920s Germany, elongated features would largely have been recognized as the features of a Jewish caricature, given the anti-Semitic attitudes of the general population. Adding to this interpretation of Nosferatu's creature is Count Orlok's wealth and his association with rats. To understand how exactly Nosferatu's depiction of a vampire reflected anti-Semitic beliefs, I'm going to have to give you a bit of a history lesson. According to historians Nico Vochlander and Hans Joachim Wolf, Germany's interwar period, the time between World War I and World War II, was rife with anti-Semitic beliefs, many of which had taken root in the country during the Middle Ages or earlier. It's important to understand that the mass murder of Jewish people was not a new concept in Germany. On January 9, 1349, 600 Jewish people were forced inside a wooden building on an island in the River Rhine that was then set ablaze. The building had been specifically constructed for that purpose. This horrific event was largely spurred by a Gentile population blaming their Jewish neighbors for the Black Plague, which had, by this point, killed upwards of a third of the population, possibly as much as 70% in some areas. This belief was one of the reasons that the Jewish population became associated with sickness, disease, and rats, the true carriers of the Black Death. After these events, many Jewish people could only receive work in jobs handling money, as for a long time handling money was considered dirty work that would ruin a person's character. This association solidified itself into a negative stereotype when this employment trend became common in not just Germany but most European countries. The connection between the Jewish community and money is one that is still prevalent today, especially in conspiracy theorist communities. But in 1922, when Nosferatu was released, these attitudes were openly accepted in most German communities. In fact, Vogtländer and Wolf found that the communities who burned Jewish people in 1349 voted for the Nazi party in 1928 at 1.5 times the rate their non-burning neighboring communities did, demonstrating that at the time this film was made, anti-Semitism still had a chokehold on the German population. When Count Orlok's ship arrives in Germany, rats clamor off the ship in droves to announce his presence. He is so wealthy that the price of the house is no concern to him. As he begins to feed on the locals, a mysterious illness kills many of the townspeople. Without context, these facts are merely descriptors of the movie, but a brief look back at the history surrounding Nosferatu can help us understand the film better, and understand the audience who received it. Just for fun though, let's throw in one more curveball. Nosferatu's director, F.W. Murnau, he was Jewish. 
Only a few years after producing this film, he fled to the United States to escape the oncoming storm that was World War II. Does this make the anti-Semitic ideas present in the movie an accident, the natural results of internalized anti-Semitism, or was Murnau deliberately playing on these ideas in order to stoke fear in his audience? I don't think there is one answer, and if there is, it certainly isn't a simple one that I am capable of explaining. But there is one question we can answer today. Does this movie still hold up with modern viewers? For that, I'll need a little help from the audience. Let's head to the theater. Here in the audience with me today, I have Molly Streppa and Annie Graziano. Hi, I'm Annie. Hi, I'm Molly. Go out on a limb and say that none of us were afraid of Nosferatu. No. (laughs) (laughs) Horrified is not the right word. I loved it for its own special reasons. Probably not the reasons they intended when they made it. No, probably not. But I thought it was really entertaining. You know how people say that, like, if you gave a Mountain Dew to a Victorian child, it would just disintegrate them? Yes. That's how I think about this movie. I'm just like, this really was what you thought was super scary. Like, if you watched a horror movie today, you would simply pass away. They would. They really, really would. Because this this was a heart attack. This was a terrifying film. (laughs) If there was nothing else like it, it would be. But it was just like a guy in makeup and he didn't know how to run and hold stuff at the same time without looking crazy. They didn't want that to be a comedy because I feel like the coffin bit was kind of ridiculous. He's carrying his own coffin somewhere, which is normally not a thing that vampires do themselves. Instead of doing this by any normal method whatsoever, he just physically picks it up under his arm like it's a tote bag and runs with it with the longest strides and the most like, if you told a kid in a beginning theater class to walk around like they were a spider, I think that's how it would go. And just (laughs) pranced off screen that way. It made it feel like a comedy. It was pretty ridiculous. I loved it. I laughed really, really hard. To be fair to the movie, I do think that the inclusion of a lot of the like animals that we saw in the movie would probably be at least a little freaky to somebody in that time period. If you've never seen a hyena before. That would objectively be really scary. Because like now they're just like in the zoo and people are like, oh yeah, here they are. They pose zero threat to you because we're people. Haha. But it's like you see an animal you've never seen before and it's a real animal that didn't have the ability to fake it yet. That would be freaky. It's just not possible anymore, though, so we have to make stuff up. We do have to make stuff up. We make a lot of stuff up in movies now. I would love to see if we could go back in time and show them CGI and see, like, how many issues we could start. (laughs) That one radio show did the the show about aliens and everybody freaked out? War of the Worlds. Yes! That, uh, That would be exactly what would happen. They would be like, okay, so this monster exists. We need to mobilize the military, you know? That is actually a misconception there. There wasn't actually any worldwide panic at War of the World. Yeah, that's that's a misconception. It would happen with CGI. Yeah, because then they would see it and they wouldn't think they wouldn't have any reason to think it was fake because that wasn't possible. No. No, not at all. How do we feel about Nosferatu in terms of vampires specifically? Oh my god. This is the first vampire movie I think ever made. I I know ever made. Do you think anybody even 
Do you think anybody knew anything about vampires before watching this movie? Do well, Dracula that... Dracula had been released as a book, and people knew yeah. about Dracula. But do you think, like, the people watching this movie were the same type of people reading that book? Because it wasn't called Dracula. No. So unless you went and watched it, you didn't know it was the exact same bloodline. I don't know. I really couldn't say. I feel like a lot of modern TV shows and movies really try to give vampires a lot of faults and a lot of weaknesses. This movie was like, yeah, it's a vampire. They do whatever they want, you know? They didn't really give us a strict set of rules in Osferatu. Exactly. But they're just like, these. they're scary. They can do scary things. With the lax rules of Nosferatu, I would love to put him in place of vampires in popular media. Oh, he'd get his ass kicked. No, I would. No, I would like to make his version of being a vampire the precedent. Oh, okay, okay. Then everybody else would get their ass kicked. Yeah. If you, if your only exposure to vampires prior to this was from somebody telling you a fairy tale or a story, and you're like, whatever, whatever, you know, I'm grandpa. 12. <laughs> then I think that this would likely be at least a little frightening because this isn't just something that is an abstract concept in your mind. Somebody has made a concrete image of what this creature looks like to you. This is a level of detail in terms of art that we've never seen. Yeah. You can make art depictions, but now they're moving, you know, now they're doing things, now they're yeah. interacting with They're things. lifting coffins and creeping across streets <laughs> to deliver their coffins to their homes in a very realistic manner. Yes, of course, with a little, um, with this little dancey dance. You know how, like, in history, people were always condemning, like, witchcraft? Was there ever a time, actually, really, where somebody condemned vampirism? Because if not, it would be really funny to think that this movie coming out is the sole reason why no one was ever actually scared of vampires. That would be very funny, but I can tell you that there was a case of a small coastal town in England becoming convinced that vampires were real in their neighborhood. Wow. Not nearly as common as witches, but there there were cases in older time periods where people were convinced of vampires being real in their villages. That was one of the things that inspired the naming of Nosferatu, is that the cinematographer for this movie went to, I think, Romania or somewhere in that area where he was told that there was a vampire living, well, not living, that they had killed and buried in the local cemetery. And when he asked the people to show him the vampire, they dug up the grave, opened it up for him, and supposedly it was this man who had been decomposing, but the way he had been decomposing led two of his teeth to slide down and like elongate, not elongate, but they had slid down because of the decomposition. And that gave him a very vampiric-like appearance that had scared the hell out of everybody. The word Nosferatu is, in their language, that was their word for vampire or a vampire-like creature was Nosferatu. So that was where the cinematographer came up with the name and suggested it to the director who immediately signed on and gave that the title of the movie. Wow. You know, you live in this time period. Vampires are definitely real if you live in a tiny village in the middle of nowhere. And I can't imagine not ever having seen a movie before. Well, I think it could be comparative to like trying to get used to virtual reality games right now, where we're, we're being told a story or something akin to a story in a very new and realistic medium. But our technology is not to the point where we can tell it very smoothly or very elegantly. Just talking about the history of VR, it didn't start. We didn't do horror for a really long time because... It was too bad. <laughs> it literally was too impossible 
to make it something realistic to scare someone. But then as soon as the technology got good enough, of course people were making horror games on VR. And they're the scariest things ever because it's just this very small element of control, but a horror game entirely relies on taking that away from you. It's the same thing, like new medium, it's it just a new form. Just up the sensory one more than you did before, it's gonna feel scarier. Cause there's probably something after VR too that's gonna scare the shit out of us. When I put myself in the shoes of somebody who was just a, a real enthusiast for movies in the 1920s, I'm gonna go see what I believe to be a hyper-realistic narrative told back to me because mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And that I think would be inherently a little bit freaky. A big part of it is the ability to remove yourself too, because it's like the easier it is for us to remove ourselves from a situation that is horror based, the less scary that it is. Horror games are scary because you have to do the removing yourself from the situation in the game. You can't do it in real life because you have to do it in the game, you know? And so in this scenario, you have a bunch of people sitting in a room that they're not supposed to leave. They're supposed to sit down and watch this thing the whole time. You can't just like get up and scream in a movie theater. Like that probably wasn't good etiquette even back then. You've taken one step further to make it harder to remove yourself from the scenario. This isn't a book you can just close. These showings of Nosferatu would have had a live orchestra. And that largely. would be insane. I mean, an orchestra is already so loud in probably not a giant room. No, we wouldn't. They wouldn't have had the technology, I, I don't think, to really perform this for a show. This to a larger audience, it would have been maybe twenty or thirty people. Yeah, so it would have been really, really loud. I feel like that would have added a lot more to it. Wasn't the music on this take kind of also comical? It was very repetitive. Yeah, I feel like with a live orchestra doing live intense music, it would be different than whatever Amazon Prime has cooked up for us that evening. Yeah, because that's the reality of it is we're never going to get to experience this movie the way that 1920s moviegoers would have gotten to experience it, which is kind of a tragedy in itself, because I think this probably would have been a lot more impactful getting to see it with a room full of people who have never seen a movie before. I think that was probably inherently tied to the experience. It's so interesting to think about because now watching a movie with someone who's never seen a movie is like a baby. Yeah. But to have someone next to you who has never interacted with video to be like, okay, we're going to watch this. Good luck. I think the biggest thing for me was seeing experimentation with using a camera and using angles and using shot placement to frame things differently, especially in a horror setting. I feel like they were definitely realizing like, hey, we can, we can really use this, you know? I would say that there was more of not an emphasis on horror or making you scared, but just making you feel things. Whether that's what they were going for or not is going to be up for debate. But that's an interesting notion of horror in itself. And I feel like horror movies now are starting to play with that. That's really true. Because in like... I'd say like the 70s and 80s, we had slasher films that really like to focus on just gore and bloodshed and freaking you out. We've kind of taken a corner with that with movies like Midsummer and Hereditary and even movies like Get Out that are really focusing on thinking 
that's a really recent change too because i mean if you think about like the saw movies the purge movies all of those were completely the same genres just gore slasher it's scary because it's kind of gross. And that's not to say that like modern horror movies aren't gory because they definitely are. No, but I think it's it's less playing into like the general fear of like, well, everybody's afraid of being murdered. And now it's getting into more specifics represented with more gory things, which I think ends up hitting a little bit closer to home because even though you logically know that the scenario in front of you is not likely, the emotions you're relating to more than you would think you were. Yeah. Well, this movie also has a specific focus on sickness. There's a lot of illness spreading around the town. Death is usually conveyed through somebody dying of a mysterious plague, which is actually Nosferatu. Because fear of sickness is a huge thing in the old times, and that's why most of our curse words are based on things that are gross. Yes. Yes. Whereas now, you know, we have Get Out, a movie about racism, which is very scary. Not something that you're necessarily going to find in the 1900s or 1800s as a prevalent fear. You could definitely find, I think, horror-like attitudes and attributes in minority communities during that time period in their stories and anything that they might be conversing about at the time, but that's not something that's gonna be make, its, make its way to the mainstream media for a long time. I mean, Get Out is one of the first horror movies that we've had that has been really directly about race. That's true. Yeah. Well, and then I guess we can just wrap up with a final thought of, is this movie still worth watching today? It's really funny. I mean, I wouldn't say that I like would watch it again, but if you're a nerd and you want to see an old horror movie, it was entertaining. Or if you're just looking, like if it's October and you're looking for spooky movies to watch, but you're not really feeling a horror movie right now, you watched one yesterday, whatever, this one is great to just have a laugh. Have a yeah. good time. It's entertaining. Watch him run with that coffin like that. Yeah, watch him go for it. Oddly rooting for him. Thank you guys for joining me today. I appreciate you guys watching the movie with me and sitting down with me afterwards. Thank um, you for having us. <laughs> This episode of 100 Years of Horror was hosted, written, and edited by Claire Van Doren. Today's guests were Annie Graziano and Molly Streppa. Our film today, Nosferatu, is available for free on Amazon Prime and YouTube. Thanks for listening. This is Claire, signing off from 1922. Hope to see you again in 1923.